Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. in the draft and and you are chopping at the bit to do it but before we dive into that can I just point out that the home run derby is stupid that I just (laughs) like like it wasn't the enjoyable experience that I hoped that it would be and and I I came into it on Monday night with the idea that this is going to be kind of a fun thing to sit there with my youngest and watch the two older kids were off at an amusement park because they're teenagers and they have a season pass but like the young guy the eight-year-old he's sitting on the couch with me poured myself a little bourbon, flipped it on the TV. I'm like, this is what we're watching tonight, big guy. We're going to watch a lot of home runs. And then as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's too rushed. He doesn't even understand. A kid can't follow those home runs on that split screen well enough. All it is is a guy swinging and swinging and swinging. And you don't know if it's going out or not. And the ball is being hit while two other balls are in the air. And, I, you know, I know that they're trying to add excitement to it. And it got boring and it got long a few years ago. But on the other hand, it's so rushed now. I spent most of the time explaining to my kid what was going on. You're trying to attract a younger generation. He was He was missing it. He just didn't get anything about it. Yeah, and they just, like, put too much on the screen. Like, every single hit was, like, how hard it was hit with a launch angle, like, immediately. And, yeah, I sat down with my 12-year-old, and, I mean, we enjoy the Home Run Derby. uh, And he was just like, are we just watching this guy swing a bat? Like, yes, I said, that's pretty much what we're watching at this point in time and how fast they can hit them. Because, I mean, I know there was... Wasn't there supposed to be that rule, Chris, that you like can't throw the pitch until... Yeah, they got rid of that, obviously. I didn't see it in the rules beforehand. Like, I remember that rule being there. The ball has to land. And then remember, there was controversy on the last one because the... the, I want to say it was Soto who won last year, was swinging while the ball was still coming down. Yeah. And people were like, that isn't fair. So they just got rid of the rule. So then it became an endurance competition. It's just how quickly can you swing a bat and reset yourself to swing a bat again. I mean, guys were gassed. You can't tell me, looking at Julio Rodriguez in the first round and Luis Robert Jr. in the first round, that they weren't the two best guys in that thing. That they were two guys who were hitting absolute bombs. Robert Jr. had like 10 of them over 440 feet. His fifth home run just missed 500 feet. He was hitting more impressive giant bombs, and you couldn't see them. All you were doing was looking at, like, the screen. They would tell you later what happened on that swing. And you're like, ah, oh, this is interesting. He hit another one that was long. I never even really noticed which one it was. And, and, and Rodriguez, he had a whole plan 
where he was just firing everything down the line for to try to get as many as he could, and that was impressive as well. But the thing is, the two of them wore out because it wasn't about are you a good home run hitter? Can you hit a ball deep? Is it is it cool what you're doing out there? It was essentially, are you built in a way where you could do this repetition of swings and still not be jelly by the time you get into the later rounds? And that's what happened with those two guys. They were so impressive in the first round, they had nothing left as they continued on. You can't tell me those two guys were only first-round winners. When you watched their first round, they were the two guys. Everybody was tweeting it. This is what the final's going to be. And they didn't have anything left. Yeah, they, they were gassed, man. And, and, I mean, looking back to to my childhood, I, I mean, I remember the home run derbies with, like, Frank Thomas and Ken Griffey Jr. And even Cal Ripken Jr. had, you know, a couple good years in there. But they were, like, the absolute, like, moonshots that we got to, like, see from, like, start to finish. And the guy getting to reset because... I mean, the other part is, what was it, Garcia from the Rangers? Basically, his his guy couldn't even hit the strike zone right. and was trying to rush them. So, like, at that point in time, you could, like, settle the guy down, you know, reset and, and just go at it. So, it wasn't even that he was, you know, a bad hitter. It's He didn't have a good pitcher. And if, if a guy got into a rhythm... But then, like you said, they wore out, and and towards the end, like Randy Rosarena and, and Vlad Jr., I mean, at the end, they were, like, out of breath. I mean, is, is that what the home run derby is about? I mean, it just wasn't like the exciting final for me. The final round was just an endurance test. It was already over. It was the worst round for those two guys because they were absolutely gassed, and it was anticlimactic. And meanwhile, you got the Adley Rushman thing where his dad comes out there. Well, that's cool. Problem is, dad's the reason why he had no shot. He was so, he, really, dad Dad lost it for him. Great moment for him, but dad lost it for him. Why? Because of the way that the thing is structured. And you know what? It's a very easy fix for me. You could do the first round the way you did it, but when you get down to the final four, slow the thing down and let us see the home runs. You know? If you want to have eight competitors, do it like that in the first round. Have some sort of entertainer come out there and play a song for a few minutes to give these guys a chance to catch their breath, and then go back to the old format with the Final Four, and you would have a spectacular event. But Major League Baseball is bad at everything. They're bad at streaming things, you know? You can't even watch things in your own market if you get the MLB app, and then they wonder why nobody wants to get the MLB app. Because what do I care? I mean, like, I want to see my team. What am I paying all that money for? There's just so bad sometimes with with how they do things. That that derby could have been so much better. It was disappointing to me. I you know, there are there are moments in it, but some of those moments could have been greater. And you saw that one kid get wiped out. Did you see that? Did you see that online? I didn't really yeah. notice it when it happened, but the kid just got wiped out because he misfielded a ball that was 110 miles an hour and hit him in the face. Like I actually yeah. saw a picture of his face that somebody put up. I mean that's awful. But I mean yeah, like they didn't even have time I think, to check I think on the kid. before there was a kid that was carted off not this year but one of the previous years like Torres like ACL or something cuz yeah. he was trying to like catch a ball. But, but like, here's the thing we didn't even know about it. Think about how barbaric it was that we were so busy trying to hit as many as possible on a clock where there's three baseballs in the air at some point with some of these guys. Like they're lofting pop-ups and while one's going up in the air there's another one going out and then he's swinging at a third one and it's so frantic that nobody even noticed the poor person that got brained by a baseball. It's pretty barbaric. It's pretty crazy. All right, Chris, enough about the barbaric nature and the unwatchable nature, really, of the of the home run derby, because the big news, you know, of 
so far of the week and probably will be maybe, I don't know, the biggest news of the year. Uh, the Pirates, in the eyes of Pirates fans, did not screw this one up. They went out. They got the top pitcher uh, in this class. And according to many experts, uh, the top pitcher in years. I mean, you can compare him to Garrett Cole. You can compare him to Steven Strasburg. Whoever you want to compare him to. I mean, the kid is, he's really darn good. They got him about 500000 under slot. And the bigger thing for me is that, I mean, there was the big thing of, you know, Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, Dylan Cruz wanting over slot, Paul Skeens being willing to go under slot. For me, it was just more of looking at it and saying, okay, are the Pirates going to be able to go out and spend 20 to $30 million a year on a pitcher. And absolutely not. And is Paul Skeens going to turn out to be that pitcher? I mean, it's not a guarantee, but he looks to have the pedigree. He looks to have the ceiling to be able to do that. He has a 98 mile per hour fastball touches, you know, 102 wipeout slider. He's working on a changeup. He worked that in this year. It's a, pretty much a hard uh, change up. It's goes like 89, 93, but the ceiling of this kid is by all experts, you know, estimations is an ACE right now. We have Mitch Keller in the organization through 2025. If they don't extend him and then you have, you know, Quinn Priester, Jared Jones, Anthony Solomedo, Mike Burroughs. When he comes back, you still have Rowanzi who was just sent down to triple a, Luis Ortiz, who was sent down to AAA, and, you know, Oviedo. But for the most part, I mean, I feel like this was not only, you know, either 1A or 1B in the draft, but also, you know, a way to get a player that you might not otherwise be able to get. You could get possibly a, a, a home run hitter. In a trade, I mean, look what look at the. I mean, you don't trade with the Rays, but the Rays were able to get Randy Rosarena by you know dealing off you know one of their high end starters, Matthew Libator, and they were able to bring in a guy like that. So not that it's easy to bring in a home run hitter, but I just think it's a lot harder for a team like the Pirates to bring in a, a potential ace and at least one of those five guys within your rotation. I get what you're saying here. Okay, I get it. The idea that it costs so much more money, so many more years, and the contracts are bigger mega contracts to go get yourself a good frontline starting pitcher compared to a hitter. And you're like, look, this is not, we're not the Yankees. So I I understand that from a cost perspective. I understand it a little bit more because I look at the Pirates system and I look at their prospects and I say that the one thing that they're thin on is starting pitching. They need pitching more than they need another outfielder. I mean, I know this kid is the can't-miss prospect, but there's can't-miss prospects that are littered across baseball them over the years that get drafted high and don't work out, okay? Dylan Cruz may be great, and the odds are he's going to be a good baseball player. But on the other hand, there is the chance it doesn't work out for him, just as much as there is a chance it doesn't work out with Paul Skeens. But what you're trying to say here is we have a lot of depth in the outfield. And they do. They have they have a lot of prospects that they have coming along right now 
And they've got a lot of depth at that position compared to their starting pitching. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It is the weakest thing. You've got to find five starting pitchers, and you don't spend a lot of money on going out and getting starting pitchers. This is a guy who pitched for LSU. He's a college pitcher. He's not going to take five years to get to the majors. If he's any good, he's going to be here in a couple years. He should he should be able to move through the organization quickly if he's good and he's ready. If they believe that, and he was a guy that a lot of teams are looking at saying he's going to go right up towards the top, and, and if, if that's the kind of guy they have, it's a great pick. In the end, what you're doing is you're picking on potential, and sometimes you're picking on need. Like, if I were drafting, if I were a general manager with my limited knowledge of, of Major League Baseball, and I, you know, I, and I say that because supposedly these guys are all geniuses, and, and us here, we don't know what we're talking about. But, but technically, I think I know an awful lot about it. But let's, let's say I sit down at the table and I'm a GM, and I come into an organization, and they give me the keys. The first thing I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out which scouts know what they're talking about. And as soon as I could start to identify the people that are the intelligent folks in the room, I'm then sitting there saying to them, okay, who's good? And then what I'm doing is I'm drafting prep players and, and, or I'm drafting college players that can make an impact early. Okay, It's either a prep player with a high ceiling or a college player that can get here in the next couple of years. And then I'm looking at starting pitching and short stops which are the most athletic players on the field because a shortstop could become a center fielder, shortstop could become, you know, a a second baseman, shortstop could move to third base, and I'm just filling up on players that have the most talent. When you get a guy like Dylan Cruz shows up, he's already in the outfield. And they're they're easier to find. He may turn out to be one of the greatest players in Major League Baseball history. He may not, but his his versatility has already got him sitting in the outfield and you could find those a little bit easier. Year after year after year, you could find players that are comparable to that. You could develop players that are comparable to that a lot easier than you could find up the middle, high athlete, high, high, you know, high uh, uh, ceiling players at like shortstop that you could move to different places and high end starting pitching. So what the Pirates said was, we need starting pitching. And here is a high end starting pitcher who's already gone through college. We like what he has, and he can be quickly moved up here because that's what they need. The window's about to open, Craig. You don't want a prep pitcher, and you need pitching. This is probably one of the most polished guys, if not the most polished guy, that's coming out right now after pitching for LSU. The hope is you're going to see him here in a couple of years. He's going to fast track himself to the majors, and you need to find arms in that rotation that you have control of because of the budgetary constraints that Bob Nutting puts on the team. So that's, I like the pick is just for that. He may not work out. There are plenty of, you know, number one overall starting pitchers that never worked out. There are a few that have. You're hoping that the, this is one of the few that have. Yeah, and I mean, you could even look back to, you know, just, just with within the last few years in the draft, like a player like a Spencer Torkelson was a great, you know, college hitter. And right now, he could still end up being a you know regular Major League Baseball player, but he's not having that immediate impact with on within his team. If Paul Skeens comes up and he is ready, and he's he will have like an immediate impact on the team. And we've talked about you know finding those those five starters, and of course you know the the Twitter GMs and even some you know members of the media and whoever it may be just all automatically try to jump to, you know, who's going to be the starting rotation in a couple years and putting out names that, you know, haven't really, I mean, I hope Quinn Priester turns out, 
I hope Anthony Solomito turns out. I hope Jared Jones turns out. But, I mean, you see in a player like Rowanzi Contreras, who we were counting on this year, and who had a pretty good you know, rookie season last year, that looked like that he, at worst, was probably going to be, you know, one of those five guys, is moved to the bullpen and is now down in AAA. So, I mean... You have to find the answers at each position. And, and like you said, Chris, even like in trading for like a Jack Sawinski, like Jack Sawinski isn't like, you know, strikes out a little bit too much, but has a great OPS, hits, hits a decent amount of home runs, and has the highest war on your team at the moment. So, I mean, like you're saying, you can find those guys, you know, through trade, through development. I mean, there may be a, I don't know, a guy sitting down in Bradenton or or Greensboro right now that could end up being that center fielder. I mean, heck, Jack Sawinski could end up being your center fielder. Henry Davis could end up being your right fielder. So, I- well, think about it. You have you have what? You have Brian Reynolds already in the outfield. You have Sawinski playing extremely well and starting to come into his own. And you got you got Davis right now in the outfield. And you don't know if he's going to end up moving in eventually to being a catcher or being an outfielder. And then you could probably list off about three, four other guys right now in the system that the book is not written on them yet. And here's just another outfielder. And yeah, he might be a really good player, but when you're the Pirates after years and years and years of being bad and you're trying to build to something good, you don't need any more outfielders as much as you need pitching. ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at WW Shop Yins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. I looked at CBS Sports and their draft grades. I wanted to go with something that was national, right? Because you get people that are too close to the team, you get people that get set on something. Let's just look at something national, right? And when they, when they gave the grade about Dylan Cruz for the Nationals who take him second, of course, he gets a grade A. I mean, it's a guy with a 70-grade hit and power tool. I mean, of course, this is a great pickup for them. And, and it, the Pirates wouldn't have been wrong drafting him, but I'm trying to reason with why they went with Skeens. So here's what's written. Skeens was regarded as the best pitcher in the class. Well, that's good to know because he was the number one overall <laughs> pick. Thanks to his power arsenal. An impressive year at LSU. He punched out 48% of the batters he faced in SEC play. They're only giving the pick a B instead of an A for one main reason. It's incredibly risky to take a pitcher number one overall. That, in the, oppor- that the opportunity cost here 
means not taking a high-quality position player adds to the potential downside. Still, you can understand why the Pirates were enamored enough with Skeens to make the pick. Essentially, the CBS national evaluation of this was that this would be an A, except, you know, some other guys haven't made it. Well, that doesn't matter to me. And except Dylan Cruz was there. So if he ends up having a better career, we'd look stupid giving this an A. So we're going to give it a B. That's the only reason it can come up with. If you take away the fact that people are just trying to save face by saying, well, we got to give it a B because what if Cruz ends up being a great player and Skeens doesn't end up being that guy. But deep down, we know that Skeens is an A pick. We know this is the best pitcher that's in the class. We know this guy has a power arsenal and struck out one out of every two guys that he faced in the SEC. And that this guy is going to get there quickly. We just don't want to look stupid if Cruz comes out and becomes a great player. That's all that is. This is a really good pick. This makes sense for this organization based upon where the organization is right now. I mean, look at the MLB pipeline list. I'm sure you look at it all the time. You look at all these lists, these prospects list. After Solometo and, and, and Priester, what else do you have that you're really excited about down there that's gonna, that you're like, that could slide into my rotation? You got a lot of holes in this rotation, and there's no guarantee that those two guys and Skeens, all three of them, are going to make it. You've increased your odds between those three guys that at least one will be a high-end pitcher and two will be part of your rotation within the next year or two. That's what you've done there. You're increasing your odds of success because you need to find five starting pitchers. And in reality, you have one right now long-term in Mitch Keller that I believe in. And then a bunch of guys that maybe will do it. And like, you know, Dick Mountain, who's not going to be here forever. He's as old as I am. So, I mean, like, you need pitching. This That's why I like the pick. Yeah, and like you said, he don't always draft for need. And it, it just kind of fit this time that, you know, we need starting pitching. And there was a starting pitcher who, you know, kind of grades out better than previous starting pitchers that have been drafted throughout. And, I mean, I don't know, man. It, it 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 goes even further. It's like people like they're saying, "Well, you sign him for like, you know, five hundred thousand, you know, under slot." And and as Pirates fans that are you know continuing to watch the draft here, continuing to comment on, I mean, most people like saving you know, five hundred thousand. I mean, that's kind of good, but it, it that's not like when you were saving you know over a million or you know a million and a half here to be able to spread out throughout the draft because they're just like, "Well, where's our?" our, our over slot person, where's this? And it's just like, I don't know. Like they, they drafted a shortstop from, from Michigan state, who was one of the best players in the Cape Cod league. Uh, not this past summer, but the summer before that's kind of Ben Charrington's MO. And it's also an athletic shortstop who has good bat to ball skills. So like you said, you're going to, you know, pick up as many shortstops as you can. And then after that, they took a first baseman who has some power we don't have a first baseman in our system. And then they just went on a string, I mean, of college arms. Yeah, they did t- pick a p- prep pitcher in there. Uh, a kid that, you know, might get a little bit over slot. That was a uh, comp round uh, B that they got him. So you might have to pay him a little bit more. He's, he's kind of raw. Uh, the one thing I liked about him is that, I mean, I think he has maybe in the past two years has like, maybe like 40 innings pitched or 50 innings pitched over the past two years in high school. So it's a raw kid with a a talented arm that was, you know, recruited by one of, you know, the teams in the sec. So there's a lot of stuff there. 
And then they just went with a lot of, you know, college arms, some of them that, you know, need some polishing and doing whatever. But like you said, it kind of seems that Ben Charrington was like, we need an influx of pitching within this system. We, we've gotten, you know, we went with Henry Davis. We went with Nick Gonzalez. We went with Termar Johnson. Um, and we need to, you know, start to bring some more depth. It's what they need the most. It's what they need the most, Craig. It, li- listen, it was a need pick. And sometimes I would argue against need picks. I would sit there and say you take the best player available. There's nothing saying, though, that this guy is not the best player available. There's nothing saying that he's not the best guy that's that's available here. Right now, there's a lot of people who are like, well, Cruz seems more like can't miss because pitchers are a little bit risky. And the Pirates are like, yeah, but we want to go pitching here in this draft. And at some point, we got to pick a really high-end pitcher because we have so much in, in, at these other positions. I mean, Tamar Johnson and Nick Gonzalez, two middle infielders. You got Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez, who are two uh, catchers who may end up playing in a different position, but you're there, okay? And the, these guys, all these guys are sitting in there along with Priester and Solomedo. if I look at the top, just at the top six. At seven, I got a, a shortstop in Pagaro. The, the, the team has position players, and they've got guys like performing in the minor leagues that fill out most positions on the field right now. But what they have nothing of, they don't have anything in their rotation long term. Right now, Mitch Keller has got a 3.35 FIP, a 1.12 whip. He's one of the best players in our fantasy league. I did, did you yeah. see that? I put that out there in our in our little league. Like I put like the, the best 10 pitchers in our fantasy league, and he's like right there at the top of it. I mean, he's just so effective. He's so good. He's got a 3.31 ERA and he's nine and four. That's what you want. And after that, you got Rich Hill, who's not going to be here forever, and at this point is just basically a body out there who's a veteran. That is not part of your long-term plan. Contreras is back down in the minors. That's how well it's been going for him this season. Yoan Oviedo has shown some flashes, but overall, I don't trust that yet, and I don't know if I'll ever trust that to be in my rotation. You need to find bodies. You don't have enough, you don't have enough high-end pitchers that have the opportunity to fill up the top of your pitching rotation, or at least fill it out. They're not going to go out. This isn't the team that's going to go out in the free agency and sign two pitchers at six years and $200 million. They're not going to go. This isn't what this team is. They're going to have to, they're going to have to develop pitching. They may go out and get one big pitcher at the moment that they're like, it's now a world series caliber team. And this puts us over the top. But they, they're not, they got to get to that point, and they're only getting to that point if you're able to develop pitching in your system. And it's something they haven't been able to do a very good job of. They haven't gotten yet to the point, so they're going to have to go get more arms. And this kid is a polished college arm. That's the difference between a prep arm and a college arm. The, the, the upside to a prep arm is you get him a longer amount of time, you get to develop him, and nobody messes with him when he's in college. So you take that high-end potential, and your organization essentially does all the development that he would get in college, but he's like five to six years away. And maybe if he like accelerates, you can get him to the major leagues in like three or four. That's what a prep arm is. A college arm is an arm that walks out. Some of these guys literally make it to the majors within a year. That's what This is like a fast-tracked, polished pitcher that may make it to the majors very quickly. It would not be unheard of. I mean, there I have seen teams in the past, in the last 10 years, pick a guy in the first 10 picks who's a college arm, and the guy is pitching for their team in the postseason. 
That's how quickly they get him up to speed and they say, yeah, he's ready for the majors. He can at least help us out of the bullpen. Like right now, this kid could probably show up and be a bullpen piece if you were a contending team. And then you'd eventually move him over the next couple of years into a starting role. But they don't have to do that. But guess what? He's going to go down. He's going to pitch for the, in the Pirates organization. You watch him excel. If, if he's got anything, if he's a good pick, you're going to know it very quickly. If he's a bad pick, you're going to know it because he's not moving very fast. But that's why I like the pick. The pick accelerates your development of your starting rotation, which is the one thing that is lagging behind on this team more than anything else. Yeah, and the one thing that Ben Charrington said uh, following the pick that, that kind of stuck with me just a little bit, when he said that he wasn't going to rule out, you know, Skeen's getting ramped up and pitching within the organization um, this year, and, and that's kind of like you said, it, it to me it would be that outside shot. I don't see it happening. Ben Charrington, since he's been here, every single college pitcher that he's drafted has not even pitched in the organization, whether it's Paul Skeen's or whoever it is, if they were a college arm, and especially if they pitched that many innings, I think it was like 122 innings, you know, during the regular season for LSU, then yeah, I'm pretty sure they're, they're not going to move him along, but let's just say, you know, (laughs) it's not going to happen, but let's just say the pirates would go on some huge winning streak. The reds go on some huge losing streak and the pirates would need some extra arms. And we could say, Hey, we could put skeins in to the bullpen, you know, Yes. Th- then they're not ruling that out because, I mean, as bad as we've played of you know recent here and as as hot as the Reds have gotten, we're eight and a half games out, and you know a decent amount of baseball left to play. But I I don't really see him doing anything outside of the Florida complex. He's going to go down there, probably just going to work him out a little bit, get him used to the organization, just kind of get to know the kid, and that's about it. Craig, he could be in the rotation by midway through next year. Yeah, in my mind realistically a college pitcher if he actually goes down works out they're happy with his pitch selection there's things that he has to work on in the offseason he does them and he does them effectively he could be here that soon I'm not saying he's a failure if he's not here that soon but that's what you need you needed you need a quick infusion of of starting pitching talent and you had the number one overall pick and you're a team that has been building for the last couple of years, and you had the ability now to use that number one overall pick for something to, to, to fix something that was behind, right? You look for hitters. You look for defense up the middle. You look for a good outfield defensively. You look for power in the middle of your order. You look for pitching. You look for all this stuff. Well, guess what? There was one thing that was lagging behind, and you had the golden ticket to take anybody you wanted to in the draft class that would help advance that one piece of your system just a little bit to help it catch up. That's what this pick is. This pick is the, we did everything we think right, but we're behind in this one area. Now we're going to fix it. Yeah, and, and Ben Charrington, I mean, he's finally starting to see, I hate to say, like, his guys come up because once you take over as a GM, they're all your guys. But to be able to see, like, you know, Henry Davis, who has slowed down a little bit, he was starting to struggle because, you know, the league is punching back a little bit. You have Nick Gonzalez in there right now. I mean, you're you're starting to see, you know, Carmen Majinski, who was, you know, a, drafted as a starter and is now a bullpen arm and, and looks to be a, a pretty live bullpen arm. If you're going to, you know, start to move this forward, especially as, you know, Brian Reynolds gets older, as, you know, we have Cabrian Hayes only for a few more years, and hopefully, you know, extending, you know, Mitch Keller, I think you're saying it right. I think that he's looking at this like, we need to speed this process up a little bit here. Like, we 
we need to start injecting stuff in. And, you know, could Dylan Cruz have taken, I think when I wrote about him, I kind of gave him like the Andrew Vaughn treatment to a degree, like how quickly he was able to come up because he was an advanced college bat. Yeah. And that guy, and that guy's, and that guy's a league average bat right now. He's a league average bat. If you took a league average bat right now, would it, would it, would it, and, and several years, several years after he was drafted, it, that could literally be all that Dylan Cruz is. And, and you had, don't just think, well, he was supposed to be the number one pick, so he's going to be Babe Ruth. He could, he could be Andrew Vaughn or worse. So that's, I get the pick. I completely understand it. Now I see the changes in this town. They change.